So we're having our first Oktoberfest of the season. It feels so good. I know. And I I think this episode will come out September 1st. So we're like still a month away, but super Mm -hmm. Mm fall-y. We had so many fun and good things this week. We had two new patrons. And really, they've been new like in (laughs) August, but we were on vacation and backlogged. So Savannah and Elsie, welcome. Welcome. Make sure your address is updated. I will send you something. And um, I probably should send something to everybody. I haven't done it since March. Yeah, we should get on that. All right. Tell us what you want. (laughs) Make it something flat so I can mail it. (laughs) I'll sign a photo of myself. There you go. (laughs) Um, And then Megan, longtime listener and uh, Instagram friend, told us that the Battle of Lexington and Concord happened in 1775. What did we say? Well, I said it happened before 1776, like, I don't know, 71 or something. (laughs) So she was giving me the exact date. Perfect. Which is wonderful because I did not write it down. I just knew it happened earlier. Yeah. And then we had somebody from Australia message us. Really? Uh Uh-huh. That they've listened to us for years and it was just, it was a cool message. That's so nice. Oh my gosh. I'll have to look at that. Yeah. Thanks everybody. Thank you. It's so nice to hear from you. It really is. Especially like after like, you know, it felt like we took a long break. Yeah. that it felt nice to come back to so many sweet words. Yeah, um, thanks so much. Yeah, and if you'd like to hang out and talk to us and get mentioned, um, you can also join our Patreon. Uh, for as little as a dollar a month, you know, we send stuff. We have a little bit of extra time afterwards. So. And you get to talk about it. Like this mm-hmm. past week, we had a little tidbit on what Coke is the best Coke. Miss um, Krista agreed with us that fountain soda is the best soda. Oh, but yeah. Misty threw in an entirely different variable. What? She said vanilla Coke. We oh, didn't even talk flavors. We didn't. Because I would have put cherry Coke on the pedestal somewhere. That's a good point. Yeah. But you don't get to listen to that here. No, that's, that's for, patron. for patron only. <laughs> um, okay. So we are moving on. Season 13, episode uh, three of Herstory. On the rocks. <laughs> With Katie and Allie. This is a podcast uh, where we talk about famous women in history. We talk about good women and bad women and fictional women and non-fictional women from all times and places because women have nuance. But keep in mind, as we so mentioned with the Oktoberfest, we're drinking the entire time. And we're not historians, not like even a little bit. Mm -mm. A lot of our listeners are historians and they keep us on track. Yes, they do. They're lovely for it. So many (laughs) masters and doctors of history listen to this show and I apologize profusely. 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 Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, because the way this is going to work is I'm going to make Allie a cocktail and tell her a story. We're going to take a quick break, and then Allie's going to make a cocktail and tell me a story. Mm. And it's going to be really fun. And we might get a little sloppy. Yeah, we might. But you like that. I think they do. I think they like that better than when we're being normal. I think so. Um, but you are right now out counting your gourds that you yes. planted mm-hmm. way earlier in the year. You're like, okay, how many gourds do I have? Do I have enough for decorations? Do I have to supplement with ones from Walmart? You're really trying to figure it out. Yeah, exactly. So you're there. You're busy. Your eyes are occupied, obviously. So you can't stop that and Google these women and see what they look like. So we're going to describe them for you. We're going to get a little physical, physical. 
Allie, who are you doing and what does she look like? I'm doing the amazingly beautiful Laverne Cox. Yes. She is a tall black woman standing at 5'11 and has lovely light caramel toned skin. She has long, straight, light brown hair with a ton of blonde highlights and accents. She is at the same time lean, muscular, and curvy. Her eyes are my favorite part, though, about her face. She has these upturned eyes mm-hmm. at the end, so it almost looks like she has has a natural cat eye like I was gonna say she has like a feline expression yes a very feline yeah. and I just think she's so beautiful she really is yeah uh so I am doing Mary Poppins Mary Poppins so Mary Poppins as portrayed by Julie Andrews is a white British woman who has fair skin a slightly upturned nose Rosy cheeks, no warts, bright blue eyes, and dark hair pulled back into a French twist. She likes to stand with her feet in first position, and when we first meet her, she wears a blue skirt, a white button-up shirt with a red bow tie, a black overcoat, a pink knit scarf, white gloves, and a black hat with cherries and daisies on it. She carries a carpet bag and an umbrella with a parrot on the end of it that she can talk to. So... She kind of goes to, like, a whole bunch of different looks, but that is, like, the quintessential Mary Poppins look. Yeah, when you picture her, that is what she's wearing. When we ran into her in Disney World, she was wearing, like, the... um, Jolly Holiday? Yeah, Mm -hmm. Jolly Holiday outfit, and I was like, well... You could change. I'm a little disappointed. You could change if you wanted. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's really fun. Yeah, I'm excited to do Mary Poppins. It, mm-hmm. it was really fun emotional research. Um, <laughs> so do you want to know what you're going to be drinking? I do want to know, um, do I have to drink an entire spoonful of sugar? No, I didn't put a whole spoonful in there. <laughs> thank goodness. Um, but this is called Practically Perfect. So in the movie, she ex- like they have their medicine or whatever, and everybody has different flavors. And she says her favorite flavor is rum punch. Mm-hmm. So I was like, all right, I got to look up a recipe for British rum punch. So this is red wine, white rum, Earl Grey tea, and a little bit of sugar. And I garnished it with a maraschino cherry. Cheers. Cheers. Hmm. Tastes like medicine. Yep. <laughs> not that great. <laughs> no, but not that bad. I mean, it tastes, um, I don't know. It's interesting. Maybe it could use simple syrup. But I would maybe. say maybe that's all that would make a little bit of a difference. I yeah. I like this because I yeah. like sometimes it's nice to just taste the alcohol and not have it be sweet. Yeah. I also like I wanted to put orange juice in it, um, but then I did not get any from the store. Yeah. So <laughs> that was originally supposed to be in it. So also maybe orange juice would make a big difference. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's okay. Not the best. But, but it's this fine. is what Mary Poppins likes. Yeah, Rum it probably punch. would be. Yeah, this is it. Rum punch. Yeah. Tea, no sugar. Don't bastardize it with sugar. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, uh, what do you know about Mary Poppins? Okay, so I know we did the story of the woman who wrote her. Yeah, P.L. Travers. Um, um, and that's maybe one of my least favorite episodes I ever. I couldn't even bring myself to re-listen to it because I hate it so much. Yeah, it was that both parts were just like, blah, and maybe we were tired or something, but I don't know. Um, but the fictional Mary Poppins, uh, was first portrayed by 
Julie Andrews. I guess it was a stage play first. I don't know. But when Disney wanted to make it a movie that she was on stage and Disney mm-hmm. like waited for her because she was pregnant. So he put off the film to mm-hmm. get her. I know that. Um, God, I can't think of her name. Emily Blunt is the new Disney mm-hmm. Mary Poppins. I know that. Uh, she is a nanny that shows up when you need her. I know that she has magical powers that she pretends not to have. I know that she is um, very strict but very fair. Mm-hmm. And that she has a bag that can has like a spell inside of it so it can hold all mm-hmm. of the things. Um, that's a big British thing. Yeah, it must be because Hermione has Who one. Has oh, the thing has that's bigger too. on the inside, and then her and Hermione. So I don't know, but that's what I know. I could I could ramble on forever, but yeah. those are the big things I know about Mary Poppins. Okay, perfect. So my sources today are um, the Mary Making of Mary Poppins documentary. Like a lot of Disney films around that, you know, you know, in the nineties, got like these little documentaries made about them, and they're so cute. Um, a John Solo video talking about the books, which was really helpful. He broke down every chapter of the original book. Oh, that's great. Which was lovely. Um, a Harper's Bazaar article, a Screen Rant video, and an Insider video on YouTube that explained the technique the special effects in the movie used. So if I get that part wrong, you can blame that YouTube video. Right. So just want to put that out there because I was doing that and I was like, I'm trying to explain this like sodium thing and i was like i'm sure that like charles vincent knows exactly what this technique is Mm -hmm. and could explain it better than i can but sorry charles uh (laughs) we don't have it we don't have what you have charles is probably like i don't know what the fuck that is i I don't know what you're talking about we also Um, (laughs) called him like a youtube coder he just we pretend he has every skill we don't have (laughs) i'm sorry charles can you please do brain surgery (laughs) thanks sorry i'm not a brain surgeon like charles (laughs) Um, but yeah, and obviously this is a fictional character, so... What is it, Charles you know. Science? <laughs> uh, Mary is a fictional character, so, you know, I'm going to tell the story in, like, not a normal way, so uh, apologize if I don't go into your favorite Mary Poppins fact. We'll all live. <laughs> okay. I feel what's to happen all happened before. Those are Bert the Chimney Sweep's opening lines to the 1964 film Mary Poppins, and it feels like it applies to us here as well. We covered P.L. Travers before in our show, but she is not quite as charming as her literary counterpart, (laughs) so we will be retelling some parts of her story as they obviously relate to Mary as a character and the production of the Disney movie, but we're going to try and focus on Mary herself and the uh, the differences between Mary on page and on film. And normally I would go recommend that you go back and listen to that episode, but I hate it. <laughs> and I think you can, I, and I don't like her. I feel bad, but I don't like her. Yeah, and I feel like Travers. you can feel Travers. hear it in my voice. <laughs> <laughs> so you'll get the gist of her here. So you don't need to go back. Um, but there is some weird stuff about her life. So maybe you want to go back. I don't know. But anyways, Let's get into it. (laughs) We don't know much about Mary Poppins' background or even what exactly she is. Some think she's a witch, but according to Jane, witches have brooms and she has an umbrella, so Mm -hmm. she can't be that. We know that her birthday is on the full moon. 
I, whatever that means. All of them. All of them. Uh, she has a distant cousin who's a king cobra and an uncle named Albert who floats when he laughs. Uh, and then in Mary Poppins Returns, we find out that she has a cousin many times removed named Topsy who fixes things. Bet Midler? No, that was uh, Meryl Streep. Oh, right, right, yes, right, right. Meryl right. Streep. Um, some speculate that she is centuries old because in a particular chapter of the original book, she says that a dancing cow was a friend of her mother's and then begins to tell the story of how the cow danced, which takes place hundreds of years before. Mm. Um, and we know that she knows Bert and there's a hint that they're romantically involved. Um, but you know, we just know that they know each other. I feel like it was always like a lover scorned situation. Really? Like one of them, like, or like that there was, there's something that happened. Like they were together and broke up because they had to or something. Yeah. I think there's more than on the screen. I think they're more like hookup buddies. Like anytime she's coming to help a family in London, Bert's there and then they hook up. So she's like an NFL player that's like flying into Cincinnati for the weekend. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I see. That's exactly right. She's flying with an umbrella. When that east wind blows. So (laughs) one theory of how she got her powers uh, is called the Great Exemption. So in the books, it is explained that babies are born knowing everything, even the language that the wind and the trees and the animals and the birds speak. But we lose that knowledge as we grow older. So some speculate that Mary is the Great Exemption to this rule. She never lost the magic that she was born with. Mm. And that's why she's magical. She's enlightened. So that's the extremely short list of what we think we might know about her and her background. Mm. (laughs) But even though she is a bit of a mystery, the character has a few standard traits. She is kind but firm. She is never cross, except for in the books. She's frequently cross. Uh, she is also very vain, which I love. She is constantly looking at herself in the mirror, and she looks at even more mirrors in the book. She even says she likes shopping because she can constantly see her own reflection in the store windows. <laughs> She will take you on magical adventures, but refuse to make a spectacle of herself, and she requires every second Tuesday off. Didn't confirm that fact in the book, but I love a woman who takes time for herself, and maybe that's when her and Bert are hooking up. Every second Tuesday, that's like a, a, a museum or like a barber, like people who have to work on the weekends. Nannies have to work on the weekends. Really? So they take off like Tuesdays and Wednesdays, or oh, I museums love that. are closed on Mondays, yeah. you know? Oh, that's perfect. So... P.L. Travers first released Mary Poppins in 1934, but fun fact, Mary Poppins actually first appeared in a short story that she wrote called Mary Poppins and the Matchman in 1926. Bert is the matchman in that story. It's a real Simpson situation. Mm -hmm. But she later said, well, that wasn't really Mary Poppins. Like the real Mary Poppins is in my book, Mary Poppins. So, you know, we don't count that. So that's not canon, even though... It's the same name. <laughs> uh, so and also, we'll, as long as it didn't like betray any huge character traits, who cares? Right. And it was also like a short story that was published in like a literary magazine. I don't know. Whatever. She's crazy. So we're going to stick with the 1934 book. <laughs> uh, also, another fun fact. I don't know where to put this in, but she uh, named her after just like a little inscription that she found in one of her books. Like someone had written their name and it was M. Poppins. Oh, that's, that's how cute. she came up with it. <laughs> This book, Mary Poppins, introduces the Banks family from number 17 Cherry Tree Lane, consisting of Mr. and Mrs. Banks, their children Jane and Michael, and baby twins John and Barbara. 
when the children's nanny, Katie Nana, storms out in a huff, Mary Poppins arrives at their home, complete with her traveling carpet bag. She is blown by a very strong east wind. In fact, she crashes into the house rather than being set down gently. And then she accepts the job, agreeing to stay till the wind changes. And the children soon learn that their nanny, though stern and vain, has a magical touch that makes her wonderful. Among the things that Jane and Michael experience are a tea party on the ceiling with Mr. Wig, a trip around the world with a compass, the purchase of gingerbread stars from the extremely old Mrs. Corey, <laughs> a meeting with the bird woman, a birthday party at the zoo among the animals, and a Christmas shopping trip with a star named Maya, who is a star in the Pleiades cluster in the constellation Taurus. There you go, Misty. There you go. <laughs> Then in the end, in what is perhaps the most iconic image associated with Mary Poppins, she opens up her umbrella and the west wind carries her away to go help another family. Did you know that that is the weather vane I have on my wish list? <laughs> I'm not surprised. Mary Poppins on it? I'm not surprised. It's just another little Easter egg to hide around. But it's interesting because I guess if it's the weather vane pushes towards the east and the wind is coming from the west i would assume yeah okay i like thought about that when i saw it in the movie i didn't get to watch the whole movie but i watched a ton of clips and i watched half of it today Hmm. um it's so cute so anyways they're they're (laughs) really delightful little films yes they are um so we recognize a few of the elements of this first story you know in the movie but there are some marked differences such as the addition of two children and a few more adventures and this wouldn't be the last of mary poppins adventures in the books the series contained eight books and the movie version would kind of you know take elements from some of the other books and combine them into one story so The 1964 movie has a similar plot line. A magical nanny flies in from the east wind to help unruly children. But, of course, there's a lot more emphasis on the parents in the movie. They are much more present than in the books, and they're portrayed as kind of self-absorbed and very unaware of what's going on in their household. Yeah. (laughs) But through the magic of Mary Poppins and some sage advice from the chimney sweep Bert, the family is mended. So that's pretty much all you need to know about the plot of the movie. If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend you stop the podcast and watch it. But, you know, I didn't really feel the need to, like, get into the whole no. movie because I feel like most of, us, most of us have seen it. But, I mean, what would you say is the best part? Oh, God. I mean, are you talking about the best part or the part that mo- – I don't know. Because when it comes to favorite song, it's definitely Chim Chim Cherry. Yeah. I love that song, and I love that it's peppered throughout the whole movie. But favorite part has got to be Jolly Holiday and the Dancing Penguin. It can't it's, not be. It can't not be. When they jump into that chalk drawing, and then they're on those merry-go-round carousel horses that go askew, I cannot. No. My, I used to watch the movie just for that part. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I'd like fast forward. I was like, I don't need I don't the need like this. rush on the banks or yeah. whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I just need yeah. the Jolly Holiday situation. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. And the guy who animated the penguins uh, was the same guy who animated Captain Hook. So he's okay. delightful. Okay. And he was like, yeah, it was really hard because I was like, I like had to like kind of do it first so that they knew how to choreograph Dick Van Dyke he was like but then I got the footage that I'm supposed to like 
do my animation onto. And then he goes, and he's stepping on my penguins. Oh. <laughs> so he's like, so I had to have the penguins kind of like duck out of the way, you know? And then I'm just losing penguins left and right because we didn't have enough space. <laughs> It, was is, so it probably made cute. it funnier. Oh, it definitely because did. Because I love that part with the crazy penguins. And they yeah. made a comeback in the Mary Poppins return. I did see that. That was so I cute. Did. Also, can we just say right now, his pants in that scene make no sense. Why? <laughs> I, mean, I just always thought that, like, when I was like a kid, I was like, I guess that's just, like, how old man pants are. They aren't. They're just so <laughs> tall. <laughs> I'll tell you what. When I get, when my like leggings start to fall down and I get like penguin thigh, mm-hmm. I hate it so much. The worst. <sighs> so Mary Poppins herself stays pretty similar. And by that, I mean she totally gaslights these children. <laughs> <laughs> we see in the book and in the movie that whenever the kids talk about their adventures afterwards, she kind of acts like they're crazy and that it never really happened. <laughs> she also walks a strange line between professional and disrespectful, telling Mr. Banks at one point, let me make one thing clear. I never explain anything. <laughs> and when he asks her for like references, she goes, they're so outdated. Like, no, I don't give references. Which is wild. Um, there is a slight difference, though, in how... Maybe s- they are outdated. Maybe they're Maybe dead. They Maybe the people I she nannied for last are dead because she's so <laughs> old. <laughs> Probably. Um, so there's a slight difference in how sentimental Mary gets. Apparently, Travers was upset with how the film portrayed Mary as, like, a sweet person. And <laughs> especially in relation to the bird woman. So the bird woman was in the book and the movie, and she's just a little old lady. And in Home Alone, too. Mm-hmm, who sits outside, and you can feed the birds by paying her a tuppence for a bag of food. In the movie, she kind of becomes the emotional fulcrum of the film and eventually spurs the conflict of the film. Michael getting upset at the bank, Mr. Banks losing his job, that whole fucking scene. But in the books... She's just kind of a batty old woman that doesn't affect the story whatsoever. In fact, according to Travers, Mary Poppins had little time for the bird woman. And when it comes to birds in this city, they should rather be baked into a pie. So Peel Travers is an elitist who would step over people in the streets that are, you know, asking for money Mm -hmm. or like doing talented things. Mm -hmm. (sighs) Yep. So, yeah, P.L. Travers is actually like old man Dick Van Dyke in the movie. And it's like, what do you get when you feed the birds? Fat birds. That's actually P.L. Travers in real life. Right. Um, Even though it's actually Dick Van Dyke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah. It's and, figuratively P.L. Travers. Yeah. It's literally, literally Dick Van Dyke. <laughs> And even though Travers liked the casting of Julie Andrews, she said she was too sweet because she said, Mary. <laughs> As described in the books, quote, never wasted time in being nice. Okay, this isn't Nanny McPhee. It's not Nanny McPhee. Get over it. So this is also why the film decides to give Mary this kind of greater purpose. So in the books, she's literally just a magical nanny that comes and goes. But in the movie, she brings the Banks family back together and teaches Mr. Banks a valuable lesson on not taking things so seriously and finding his own inner child and letting his kids be kids and like actually paying attention to them. 
There is also a Bert in the book, and Mary spends her day off with him, but he's just as um, a street artist and not a musician or a chimney sweep, so he just has one job. <laughs> and in the book, just the two of them jump into the painting and have a very cute date sans penguins. <laughs> That's even better. I know. I want a painting date. Then at the end of the book, Mary leaves, but she does return because the series obviously continues. So now that we know a little bit about the character and the books and kind of some of the key differences, I think we should talk about the inspiration for the Practically Perfect Nanny. So as we mentioned, in Pamela Travers' story, her childhood was marked by a lot of tragedy, with her mother suffering from severe depression and her father being an alcoholic who died when she was young. There was a woman, though, who gave her life some much-needed stability, and that was Helen Moorhead, a.k.a. Aunt Ellie. Aunt Ellie had a tall, gaunt, graceless frame, a grim face with a long upper lip that curled at the corners when she smiled, and a voice like the father bear's voice in the story of Goldilocks. <laughs> she was firm but fanciful, and she had a knack of combining adventure and romance, but she was also a staunch follower of the rules. She was, quote, the, any, the enemy of any attempt at whimsy or sentiment, but also an everyday enchantress. <laughs> she went on to describe okay. her, I know, as the, quote, central shaft of the merry-go-round and a born ancestress and matriarch. She said that her aunt liked to make up rhymes and songs on the spot to control, discipline, and reward the children. Uh, but also, the terror and delight of her manner infected all children, and they adored her as something more than human. <laughs> and if you're thinking that this character is very contradictory, just welcome to the entire world of PL Travers. <laughs> it's very frustrating. <laughs> but another real thing was that her aunt really did have a carpet bag, and she would carry all sorts of exciting things in it. Um, and she not only, like, helped take care of the children, like, physically by, like, hanging out with them, but she also gave her parents money. And, you know, mm. and she'd be like, this money is not for drinking. It is for food and clothing for the children. Right. So she was also providing, like, actual physical support for Pamela and her, and her sister. Um, so... It's no wonder that people often can't get a real grasp on who Mary Poppins is because Aunt Ellie seemed to be just as mysterious. But it's important to know that Mary was a real person who seemed magical to Travers because it explains why the story was so close to her. Now, of course, many people know from the movie Saving Mr. Banks that P.L. Travers was difficult to work with. <laughs> In fact, Tom Hanks, who played Walt Disney in the film, asked one of the Sherman brothers, who they wrote the music, he goes, was she really that bad? And he said, oh, Tom, <laughs> she was a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been so much easier for Walt to just give up on the idea of making this a movie. But he said he promised his daughters that he would make it because it was their favorite book. And even after 20 years of asking her for the rights to the book he was still adamant about keeping his promise that's how long it took him 20 years <laughs> it was just like a couple years after the book was initially released that he started a correspondence with her asking her for the rights and she of course kept saying no and insisted that no amount of money would sway her 
She was worried that he would take her beloved Mary Poppins and turn her into a silly cartoon character. But after two decades and a lot of money talk later, because she was not in good financial situation, in a good financial <laughs> situation 20 years afterwards, um, she received the equivalent of $2 million in today's money and then 5% of the box office revenue, which is about another $5 million. So she agreed, kind of. She said, you know, I want to have a condition that, like, I'm going to collaborate on it. Like, I have script approval. You know, I'm going to be involved in the creation of this so you don't, like, fuck it up. So they go back and forth. And just the pre-production of this movie was about two and a half years (laughs) just because she hated everything and the Sherman brothers talked about how stressful it was not just working with her but working for two and a half years on something they were passionate about that might not come to fruition that's got to be so hard I'm all for like controlling your intellectual property Mm -hmm. but I like if you have made the decision to sell it and you have some say over it I am not for making other people's lives difficult no That's outrageous. Yeah. It was just like really, really difficult. And, you know, and then it's like she just hated all of it. She hated the animation, especially the penguins, hated the casting, didn't really care for the music, and thought Julie Andrews was too pretty to play Mary. (laughs) According to the film Saving Mr. Banks, Walt eventually comes to understand the personal nature of the Mary Poppins character and, again, why she cares so much. There's like that famous line of like, she was a real person. (laughs) He's like, yes, she was my aunt. Um, He realizes that the heart of the film truly lies in the character of Mr. Banks because he represents the father that Travers couldn't save in her own life from his own alcoholism. And again, Mary is important to her because Aunt Ellie was the only person that seemed to bring joy into her life and make things better. Right. So... Now, I am not 100% convinced that the point Travers was making in the books was that Mary was there to save Mr. Banks because, frankly, he's not in the books. But throughout the making of the movie, I think that she was realizing those things along with Walt because – and I think that that's why it was so hard because she's watching this movie get made and watching the character of Mr. Banks, like, be a real character and not just a dad who, you know – wears coats and goes to work you know he's actually in this movie and I don't think she quite realized how much of her desire for her father to be better was going to be in the character of Mr. Banks I imagine it's semi-therapeutic yeah it's almost like she has to talk out her ideas with someone and Mm -hmm. like splice them out until they make sense and Walt Disney was like an acting therapist at that point oh yeah he definitely was Because I want to make it clear, she actually admitted later on that when she wrote Mary Poppins, she didn't realize that she was basing it off of Aunt Ellie. Hmm. So in 1941, she wrote like a semi-autographical book called Aunt Sass and was like writing about her Aunt Ellie. And she goes, huh. Oh my gosh, this is just Mary Poppins. Oh my gosh, Mary Poppins is Aunt Ellie. (laughs) And she had this realization Years after she wrote the book and like it started selling out, you know? Um, but 
so I think that maybe she wasn't making the connections between her father and Mr. Banks until it was like laid out on the screen, hmm. you know? So the movie was touch and go for a bit, but after a grueling, again, two and a half years, things were really happening. Travers tried to pull the brakes again at some point, but at, at so, like eventually Walt was done and he was like, look, I didn't want to do this, but in the contract, I have final approving approval. This is happening. <laughs> this is it. So finally, we're moving from pre-production into the actual making of the film. <laughs> Brothers Richard M. Sherman and Robert B. Sherman did the music for the film. And I totally agree with someone in the documentary that those guys were touched by God when they were writing for this movie. Literally, every song is perfect and catchy and oddly emotional so with this incredible soundtrack well, and there's fast and slow versions of yes, all of them and they're peppered throughout the whole movie yeah, like constant reprises oh. of the songs which is so great because it takes i mean it's like they were writing for a musical which i know most disney movies are musicals and they have a touch of musicality but this one was written like a stage play yes it was which is surprising, isn't it? That it wasn't a stage play first. Yeah. Like you mentioned that earlier and it wasn't. But I it, know. It was like, it as was soon as I said like it, that. I was like, I don't think that's true. Yeah. <laughs> like- <laughs> so because they had this like very theatrical soundtrack, they needed an incredible voice to carry it. When it came to casting Mary Poppins, they had a few different ladies in mind. Uh, Mary Martin, who played Peter Pan on stage. Betty Davis, and even Angela Lansbury. But it wasn't until they caught a clip of Julie Andrews performing a scene from the stage play Camelot on the Ed Sullivan show that they knew they had found her. So Walt went to New York City to see Camelot, and he immediately went backstage after the performance to try and convince her to be his Mary Poppins. Julie was interested, but she couldn't commit quite yet. There was talk around this time of making the play My Fair Lady into a movie. And Julie Andrews was the clear choice for Eliza Doolittle since she originated the role on Broadway. Yep. But the producer of the movie didn't want an unknown stage actress in the role. He said it was too risky. So they picked Audrey Hepburn instead, which thankfully for us left Julie free to do Mary Poppins. But there was one more problem with casting Julie. She was three months pregnant when she was offered the role. But Walt said, she is special enough to wait for her. He's already waited two and a half years. Yeah, what is another nine months or Yo, whatever I read, <laughs> I read both of Julie Andrews' memoirs. Mm. They, and like on audiobooks, you just get to listen to her oh, talk to you. And like she'll lovely. sing the parts of the songs like mm. as they're going. And you're like, thanks, Julie. God, that sounds lovely. I know. I Both of that. them are good. Ugh. And she, I mean, she talks about all this behind the scenes stuff, which yeah. like she just seems so sweet because yeah. she was back to back Mary Poppins and the sound of music mm-hmm. that I forget that she's like best friends with Carol Burnett and mm-hmm. like has a mouth on her and has been married several times. Yeah. And like, I forget a lot of that about her because she has such a great public image. I know. I can't wait to actually do her story. Oh, that'll be fun. It'll be really good. I'm going to make you do it since I read the memoirs. <laughs> <laughs> That's not fair. I don't want to go back and reread them. <laughs> so her daughter, Emma was born and they started filming shortly after. There are even pictures of Emma on set with her mom dressed as Mary Poppins, which is so cool. I love that. 
And so Julie Andrews made her film debut as Mary. Like, I didn't realize that that was her first movie uh-huh. ever. That's crazy. I don't think she doesn't win the Oscar, though. Right? Or does she? Yeah, she does. Yeah, she does. Okay. It was another one that she didn't win that she was really pissed about. <laughs> in the book. Can you imagine first time out of the gate winning the Oscar? No. Which Shit. is ironic because so she beat um we'll get into this but she beat audrey hepburn for the golden globe for best actress Mm -hmm. with her role um but it's funny because audrey hepburn had the same thing happen her first film roman holiday right out of the gate she won the oscar for best actress Mm. it's wild these women are talented really (laughs) so julie andrews is mary and you know pl travers you know thought that she was still too pretty but she did approve because she was a british woman <laughs> and she said you've certainly got the nose for it which is like is that wow. a good thing or a bad thing like Rude. what <laughs> she was not as pleased though with bert who of course was played by dick van dyke <laughs> he is not british and his cockney accent in a the shame film was named one of the worst british accents on screen of all time it is tragic and he agrees like he laughs about it in the film he goes oh yeah he goes that was really bad <laughs> he goes it comes and goes it's crazy <laughs> that's how i would act if i had to do an accent oh yeah but you can't deny that he embodies bert more than anyone else He's so perfect in the role. Like, he's so charming. Well, he's a talented goofball. Yes, he is. Like, he's somebody who's really good at all the things he does, but Mm -hmm. is not too serious about it. Absolutely not. And it's crazy because I also didn't know that he had no dance training before this film. (laughs) He had never danced before. Like, he had done, like, a little bit of singing and dancing and Bye Bye Birdie, but nothing on this level Seven times wild, then. <laughs> it took them six weeks of training <laughs> to get the step in time number down, which is, again, incredible. Because, like, the choreographer, which is, like, this cute blonde girl, she goes, I couldn't believe it. She goes, he's doing things that, like, trained dancers have a hard time doing. Like, it's ridiculous. Um, also, side note, you can look up the photos and the videos of them training for this dance. And it is, like, again... I might be partial to chimney sweeps because my husband is a chimney sweep. Who's like people reference Dick Van Dyke to him like six times a week. All the time. (laughs) It's actually kind of frustrating because every chimney company, their like logo now has to be like canes and top hats. There's actually a company that sings when they get there. Perfect. It's unreal. And you know what the ultimate irony is that Casey's never seen the movie. So... (laughs) All right, movie night. Movie night. He would probably like it more he if he saw it because love the it. chimney sweeps are like the kick-ass part of the movie. They're the best. Yeah. And it's also funny because I know a person who is a chimney sweep that like got Casey into the gig, who is also an artist. He's a sign painter and he's Plays a musician. <laughs> Just kidding. He is the guy at my wedding, sweet Bobby. My God, I love him so much. At my wedding, he comes up to me and he goes, Katie, don't worry. I brought my guitar. (laughs) I said, Bobby, that is the last thing I was worried about today. (laughs) I never (laughs) even thought about it. You know what's funny? And he's tall and lanky like Bert. Like he looks like him. It's unreal. What's funny though is how both, I mean, the Mary Poppins aura is very like, turn your nose up kind of like 
P.L. Travers, like, holier than thou, I'm wealthy, I'm better than you. But both movies, Mary Poppins and Mary Poppins Returns, center around, like, the loving-hearted nature of a blue-collar worker. Yeah, because they're the only ones in the movies that know what's going on. Yeah. They're the only ones paying attention to the kids (laughs) and, like, seeing things for what they are. There is a really funny class commentary in the story that, like, I don't think P.L. Travers meant. No, <laughs> I think kind she's not. I don't think she realized that she was <laughs> making the, the less wealthy people be the best people in the movie. <laughs> oh, it's so funny. Um, but yeah, but my little chimney sweep rant uh, was to say, look up the videos of them rehearsing. Those chimney sweeps are hot as hell. Oh. My God. And they're all like shirtless with like these six pack abs like dancing in these like little shorty shorts because it was the 60s now now they're Woo! all like our grandfather's age, yeah though. i don't want to talk about it so, <laughs> so we're not going to get too much into the other characters because there's a lot and there's a lot of cool people but we can't not mention the other feminist hero of the film mrs banks a dream woman. Walt knew that he wanted to cast Glynis Johns from the beginning, but when they met for the for lunch to discuss her being in the movie, she thought she was coming in for Mary Poppins. And so when he goes, no, you're the mom. <laughs> Imagine like a Jenna Maroney situation. And she was like, what? <laughs> so she was a little disappointed because she wanted to sing, you know? She was like, if I'm going to be in a musical movie, like, I want to have a number. And Walt was like, well, lucky for you, the Sherman brothers are just finishing up a killer song for you. And he went to the brothers and said, I need a Mrs. Banks song. Immediately. ASAP. Make it about suffrage. Yeah. <laughs> and they came up with one of the best songs in the movie, Sister Suffragette. Mm-hmm. It just, it has these great lines such as, Though we adore men individually, we agree that as a group, they're rather stupid. Let's put it on a tote bag. (laughs) And of course, the very true line of our daughter's daughters will adore us. Like basically saying the next generation won't really know what we're doing, but the generation afterwards will totally fucking get it, which is true. Thanks, guys. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) And they'll sing in grateful chorus. Well done, Sister Suffragette. (laughs) Yo, we appreciate you. Well done. We do. The racism wasn't appreciated, but that's fine. It's not fine, but it's not fine. I also love that Mrs. Banks is very unaware. Not only is she not paying attention to the fact that her children are missing, but one of the first things she says to her maid, Ellen, which, by the way, was my role in my high school production of Mary Poppins. Get it, Ellen. (laughs) She, like, walks and she goes, Oh, Ellen, this woman got carried away by the police, you know, and she's singing with her shackles all the way. And she goes, You should have been there. And Ellen's like, but I can't because I'm working for you, you bitch. (laughs) (laughs) But even though they poke a little bit of fun at Mrs. Banks for being a bit clueless about her household, they don't make her suffragette mission seem like the cause of her frivolity, which I like. Um, And she also does it despite Mr. Banks. She's just like, oh, like, don't tell Mr. Banks, you know, the cause infuriates him. So like, (laughs) she's being very rebellious. Wow. (laughs) I'll also just 
frankly never get over the sight of her pulling up her dress and the ladies like screaming at it. I know. <laughs> I just love her with her little sash. Oh, the, the sash, little sash. Is so good. I just want to wear one from now on. Yeah. Just a little self Just an everyday sash. sash. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just another perfect morsel of a perfect movie. Yeah. But one person didn't think so. <laughs> We're going to keep talking about it. Pamela Travers hated the movie so much that she cried at the premiere. But it's so good. What could she not like? I don't know. Everything. And then she said to Walt, will we have more work to do? And he said, we're at the premiere. It's done. Take your millions of dollars and leave. Like he was so mad because he knew what they did was amazing and revolutionary. And it was just really fucking good. He has vision. Some people don't have vision, you know? And I think at some point he was like, I know that like Mary Poppins is your aunt and Mr. Banks is your dad. And like you're Jane or what the fuck ever. And he goes, but at some point you have to acknowledge that like you, number one, you made a lot of money off of this. And number two, like we did a good job. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's not like they fucked it up and ruined it. It's like, we did a good job. So, like, just accept it. It's not a Percy Jackson situation. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And you know what? The proof was in the pudding, which that pudding was millions of dollars. (laughs) (laughs) Mary Poppins was one of the movies that saved the studio during a bit of a slump. You know, we talk about the Disney slumps frequently in the movies that save them. And this was one of them. We're Disney podcast adjacent. Yeah, we really are. (laughs) It was Disney's biggest commercial hit up until that point. And because of that movie, they were able to buy the land in Florida that would eventually become Disney World. So we can thank Mary Poppins and Julie Andrews for Disney World. Get out of here. I'm fine with the fact then that she was wearing her Jolly Holiday outfit. Yep. She owns that She place. owns it. She, she can wear whatever she fucking wants. She can wants. hang out in Epcot in London town. <laughs> whatever. That's fine. The film was nominated for 13 Oscars and won five. They won Best Special Effects, Best Music Score, Best Song for Chim Chim Cherie, Best Film Editing, and of course, Julie Andrews won Best Actress. And it's so great because she accepts her speech and then she's in the press room afterwards and they're holding up all these microphones to her. They're like, how do you feel, Julie? It's just funny because it's the same as what was happening to her after she won the horse race. (laughs) And she goes, well, I think there's only one word for what I'm feeling and it's super califragilisticexpialidocious. (laughs) She said that at the Oscars. That's so cute. (laughs) She's adorable. God, she's the best. Julie also won the Golden Globe for Best Actress, ironically beating out Audrey Hepburn for the award. And during her acceptance speech at the Golden Globes, she thanked the man who she said made a wonderful movie and made this all possible in the first place. Mr. Jack Warner, who was the producer of My Fair Lady, (laughs) who said Julie wasn't a big enough name for the film. And just to be clear, everyone, including Jack, loved it. Like the footage of him, he is roaring because he is like, fuck, she's right. Like it's like natured fun. It is. And of course, like Audrey Hepburn was amazing in that movie. Like she was so great. And yeah, now we have two women who like really were iconic in their roles and it's okay that, like, that happened because somebody's got to win. Yeah. And also, you know, again, it wasn't mean-spirited at all. And, you know, 
My Fair Lady beat out Mary Poppins for Best Picture at the Oscars. So right. everybody got awards. It was fun. It's not a Will Smith, Chris Rock situation. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> not this year. So the movie was universally loved by critics and is still loved today. So even though it took some time and a lot of effort, it was all worth it. The last wonderful part about the movie that I can say is that everyone in the cast and, you know, the crew and everything only speaks highly of the experience. And I think you can tell that joy, you know, is in the characters' faces, you know, in the movie. Like, it really looks like they're having a good time because they were, you know, like they were just enjoying the filmmaking process so much. And it's great, too, because Walt kept his promise to his daughters and not only made the movie but made it a classic the film meant so much to him i was we're kind of used to seeing like his role kind of dwindle as the years went on but he was so heavily involved in this movie like even the penguin sequence you know like they're writing that scene and he goes (laughs) you know what Waiters always kind of remind me of penguins (laughs) let's make them penguins (laughs) like now it's like the most iconic I mean, that's how he is. He just had such a big brain. And it's like, it's so sad he went out the way he did and so I young. Know. I know. I because, know. like, his brother took over, but let's all face it, Roy is like a tenth of the man that Walt oh, was. Yeah. I like Roy, but he should get rid of his mustache. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But this movie was his crowning achievement. And sometimes he would have Robert M. Sherman, one of the composers, come up to his office just to play Feed the Birds for him at the end of the day. It was his favorite song. And on his 100th birthday celebration, Robert played it one last time for his statue in Disney World, the park that existed only because of this movie. Stop. Stop. I hate that. And it's so sweet because he goes, this one's for you, Walt. And, he pl- and like, I don't know if anybody knew that that was his favorite song because he would literally just have him come up at the end of the day in his office just to play it for him. Oh, so sweet. <laughs> Mary Poppins was not just important to Walt. This movie was important to the history of filmmaking. It was the first time the sodium vapor process was used to add special effects. The sodium vapor process was possible through a camera that had a prism inside of it that isolated this very specific color. It was the color admitted from a sodium vapor light bulb. So they would light the background with this color and isolate the images so that they could animate kind of around the figures. It's like an early green screen. Exactly. Which is funny because before this, they had blue screen technology, which I thought was fascinating so there were movies that were doing this beforehand but they used blue screens Hmm. so this was a yellow screen that they were using oh yeah because they described it on like the color spectrum it was like the color they were using for the blue screen was a wider range of like colors that existed within it you know but the yellow one was a very specific one because it was the light from a light bulb So it's like a really specific shade. So that's why, like, I mean, you're watching this and they're dancing around, you know, these cartoon characters and you can see through the mesh on her hat, like the silk on her, like, or whatever it is, you can see through it. It's so bright. It's so well done. Like it was. So wait, do we use green screens because blue and yellow make green? (gasps) Oh. 
Did they combine? Oh my god! Did, I didn't. Charles, let us know. Did they combine those technologies? Is that what they did? I guess so. I don't know. That's crazy. Shoot! Shoot! So color theory one hundred and one. Help me out. <laughs> so. I watched the video on how they did this many times, and I know those mats and whatever that they're explaining, but that's the best explanation I can do. That was great. But this special camera that they used with the prism inside of it was invented by Petro Vlahos, uh, a Greek in- uh, inventor. Um, but in an ironic twist, he was never able to get that prism quite right again. So only one of the cameras worked and that was the one they used for Mary Poppins. <laughs> so for any future film like Pete's Dragon or Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds, they had to wait for this one camera to be available to make their movie. <laughs> but cor- of course soon other technology became available, you know, and like they didn't need to just use the one camera. Like, you know, it's not like all Marvel movies are still using this camera, <laughs> but <laughs> but it was such a monumental step forward in special effects, which is why they won the Oscar for it, because it was so unbelievably seamless Mm. what they did. It's amazing. So the story, however, doesn't end here because in 2018, Mary Poppins returned. Emily Blunt starred as the magical nanny with Lin-Manuel Miranda playing Jack. He is a lamplighter who apparently, like, mentored under Bert or something. Like, I think it's mentioned at some point. I didn't get to watch the movie. I watched a lot of clips from it. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting, too, because I didn't realize he didn't do the music for it. Yeah, no, I think, um, so he is Bert's, like, great nephew or something. Mm-hmm. I think nephew in the film, and he's a lamplighter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or a leery, as they yeah, like yeah, to call yeah, it, yeah. which is... Such a great twist. But there's another romance in this mm-hmm. movie, which is great. Another romance, another flirty flirt flirt, um, <laughs> which is kind of funny because it's like, oh, this is like Bert's great nephew. Oh, no, like, but not with Mary. Wait, what? He falls in love with the girl. She's grown up. No. Yeah. Oh, I didn't see the movie, so I didn't know. That's yeah, yeah. so cute. Yeah, it's really cute. So when Emily Blunt comes back, it's the to the two kids who are grown yeah. ups, and they are kind of neglecting their kids because uh-huh. their parents had died mm-hmm. but the daughter doesn't have kids she's just like the fun aunt yeah and um bert's nephew and her kind of like fall in love and they go like fly kites together it's damn like really fucking god i should have watched the movie you should it's adorable i really want to because yeah. it looks really great and it's so well done but because um, he does like at the, the beginning of the movie i thought it was going to be kind of weird because i was like if this is the same mary poppins that's strange that this yeah. is his like great nephew but it was it was like he respects her because he knows what she meant to his uncle, which is like they play it so well. I love and that. And then, of course, Dick Van Dyke reprises his role as the old band. Yes, man. he does. <laughs> so, as you said, the film takes place 25 years after the first one, and they're in the midst of the Great Depression. Michael's wife has died, leaving him with three children, and he is in danger of losing the bank's home at 17 Cherry Tree Lane. His sister Jane is trying to help him with the house and the kids, and 
you know, they're also trying to find the shares of the bank that their father left them. Like he left them shares in this bank that would save the house, but they can't find them. And the bank is like being a dick about it. Uh, <laughs> so in another effort to help the children and the grownups, Mary Poppins returns. An interesting part about the sequel is that it actually takes place during the time period that the original book was set in. Mm. So the second movie reflects more of the darkness that was in the original book. Because in the book, the Banks house is described as the smallest, most dilapidated on the lane. And the family is described as having money troubles. Mr. Banks tells Mrs. Banks, you can have a nice, clean, comfortable home or four children, but not both. <laughs> so Mary Poppins Returns feels a bit more like the dreary world that Mary Poppins helps the children escape from that P.L. Travers, Travers initially envisioned. Mm. And I think she still would have hated the movie, but like maybe a little less. <laughs> there are a couple of things that I think were done really right when approaching the sequel. Emily Blunt made it clear that she was going to put her own spin on it and try not to copy Julie Andrews' performance. And Julie Andrews also decided not to make a cameo in it. You know, Bert and Dick Van Dyke obviously did. But Julie Andrews said that she did it out of respect for Emily Blunt. She was like, you know, I didn't want to come in and distract the audience and, like, make it seem like I was trying to, like, steal her thunder as in, like you know, returning. So she goes, I just wanted it to be her own. Did you know it was crazy though? Like at the end of the movie, you can tell where they wanted her in the cameo because they put Angela Lansbury in it. I was like, that was supposed to be Julie Andrews. And like, that was more distracting than it. Right. Yeah. Julie Andrews. <laughs> I was like, okay, wait, it's two seconds before the end of the movie. I know. You, yeah. Cause <laughs> I did watch that scene and I was like, I feel like they wanted Julie for this. They did. Uh, but that's okay. Okay. That's all right. Because, you know, and I, I get her just wanting to be like, this is Emily's thing now. I'm not Mary Poppins anymore. Right. You know. Um, but I'm the queen of Genovia. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Also, did you know that The Princess Diaries was filmed on the same sound stage that Mary Poppins, the original, was filmed on? Get out of here. <gasps> get up and Isn't leave. <laughs> that perfect? Sound stage three, if you guys are wondering. <laughs> bookends. Bookends. <laughs> but the director said in the little making of Mary Poppins Returns that only Emily Blunt could do it. In fact, when he approached her, he said, I understand if you don't want to, and it's fine, but if you don't, like, I'm not going to make this movie. Like, I only want to make it with you, and I'll just move on to another project. You know, like, it's going to be fine, <laughs> but, like, I, the movie's no, not going to happen. No pressure. <laughs> no pressure. And they also respected the original style of the movie. And even though the animation and the special effects were updated, they didn't do everything in CGI. There was still hand-drawn illustrations in the film that made you feel nostalgic. And I know for me, like, I have a hard time with all the new CGI movies because, like, sometimes... I just want a hand-drawn image. And they literally don't make the technology for artists to do that anymore. No. Which is really sad to me, you know? So, I don't know. Maybe I am old, but whatever. <sighs> they also had real sets. They rebuilt Cherry Tree Lane. And it's so sweet watching Dick Van Dyke go back to it. Because mm. he's 91 when they filmed this movie. 
Oh, it's crazy. And he's walking around and he's just like, oh my gosh, like you guys did such a good job. It looks perfect. (laughs) And I just like that they weren't filming everything on green screen, you know, like the sets were tangible, you know, and in the big lamplighter dance sequence, which is their nod to step in time, they're actually on a set doing this huge musical number as if it were on a stage. And they also shot on location in London. They got to shoot outside of Buckingham Palace, which makes the parts that aren't animated or aren't on a set still feel real, again, without just doing everything in CGI, right. which I just, I love. Mary Poppins was also turned into a stage play. Uh, production started in 1993. P.L. Travers was still alive, uh, oh, and she made some strict stipulations. <laughs> <laughs> she only agreed to a stage production as long as the creators were all English and no one who worked on the Disney's film adaptation could be involved at all. Somebody can hold a grudge. Wow. Yes, she can. Uh, it's so funny, too, because, like, we learned in her story, like, she was like a mysticism person who, like, always had a guru and was always looking for, like, self-enlightenment. It's like... You're a mean person. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. But, like, she is not a nice person. And, like, the paycheck from Disney has, like, let you live yes. for, like, the rest of your life in comfort. Yeah. Oh, my God. And it also, like, it made Mary Poppins really last. Like, Forever. I don't know if she would last quite as long if it wasn't for this. You know? The books are bleh. They're okay. Like, they're good. And I think that British children might be like, oh, yeah, like, you know, Mary Poppins is like a special character for us. But now she's a special character for the world. It's no Peter Rabbit. No. Yeah, you're not Beatrix Potter. Get out of here. (laughs) So the play finally debuted in 2004. Uh, She died in 96. I think they kind of waited until after she died to do it um (laughs) mary poppins character is more deliberately mysterious than in the movie version she is slightly stricter with the children who are also naughtier than their book and movie counterparts but only because she wants them to be the best that they can be and mary in the stage version is also more aware of bert's feelings towards her which is interesting Then we can't not mention the Simpsons nod to her with the character Sherry Bobbins, who tries to help the Simpsons, but they come to realize in the end that they kind of like being fucked up. (laughs) So what does Mary Poppins teach us? She teaches us that the inner child in us is just as important to nourish and care for as the adult, that we should believe in nonsense and magic, but rules are also important. It's the great contradiction of Mary Poppins. It's like jump into a sidewalk chalk drawing with me and eat caramel apples all day. But clean your fucking room and don't stare, stand there with your mouth open like a codfish. Like, I'm a codfish. I'm a codfish. <laughs> it's this idea that nonsense and a no-nonsense attitude can somehow coincide together. And this was another tenet of Pamela's beliefs. She liked kind of grumpy characters with a cloud over their head who could also bring joy and sunshine into people's lives because rain and bad weather are just as important as the sunshine and the warmth when it comes to making things grow, which gets back to the idea that Mary represents to us that kids need structure as much as they need fun. 
Both are required to make us feel safe and loved. You know, just like how a spoonful of sugar can help us take our medicine, which we need, we can make our adult lives better by adding a touch of whimsy. I mean, don't you get it already? Why do you always have to complicate things that are really quite simple? <laughs> Perfectly and perfect. The story of Mary Poppins. I As love I can best her. tell it, there's so many things going on in this story where I'm like, God, I feel like I'm jumping all over the place. But, but she's such a big character. No, I think you did a wonderful job. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, book, movie, person movie play done. it's so much yeah it's, it's so, so much. much but yeah mary mary poppins is really iconic and a movie that holds up and that's one of the things about all the things that happened when walt was was alive he refused to let any drawings or um songs in the movies that wouldn't age well mm-hmm. and i remember when i watched a thing about jungle book they were like walt would hate this because we made these crows Mm -hmm. like the beatles and he would hate it yeah because it's not going to age people aren't going to get it although people get the beatles yeah (laughs) we still do yeah they weren't going anywhere it's not like they were doing nsync (laughs) but i i understand like he's so much easier to appreciate now when things are so I saw it and I'm done and let's move on to the new thing. Mm -hmm. I know you never want to leave Mary Poppins. You never do. And also like there are so many like there's a lot of visceral memories I have of that movie. Like do you remember in them like when we had the VHSs and they'd play like the you know kind of um ads for disney before (laughs) and they always used the same clip of Mary Poppins smelling the flowers and then it turning into butterflies Mm -hmm. and it's just something I just love that little clip because it's so wonderful because when you think about it, like, you're like, Julie Andrews is in, like, this dark studio. Like, <laughs> butterflies in her and, face. And they couldn't picture what this was going to look like. Yeah. Because it really hadn't, like, there had been some green, like, blue screen, sorry, stuff before, but, like, like Dick Van Dyke was like, we couldn't have imagined that it was as seamless and magical as it was, as it ended up being. Well, like, and the so idea good. that people love Mary Poppins so much is so great because anytime kids are interviewed about what they like about their favorite teachers, other than like they're fun, they're nice, they're that, they said, I like that I know the rules. Yeah. I want to know where the line is. And when you let some kids cross the line and not other kids, mm-hmm. like, or if some days you feel like whimsical and other days you don't, it's like, I need to know the line. Yep. Show me the line and then I'll stay behind it. And then you can be as fun as you want as a teacher. Just give me the line. Yep. And she is so. It's exactly what she is. It's exactly what she is. And uh, yeah, I like even like the little lullaby she sings. She's singing a lullaby to make them go to sleep. That's all about st- like stay awake. Like <laughs> she's so that's terrible. So perfect. I it's love her. Great. Okay. <sighs> let's go get some more cocktails. All right. We'll be right back. Bye. So we're back with maybe the greatest cocktail accomplishment of my entire life. I haven't tasted it, so I don't know if that's true. (laughs) Um, So Laverne Cox is like a spokesperson for vodka. So I had to use vodka. Yeah. But then I was just thinking about how there are so many amazing pieces to her that are all individual and work so well together uh-huh. that I made the cocktail is called every part of me and it is a Neapolitan cocktail. 
So it is strawberry banana juice Mm -hmm. with vanilla vodka, Mm -hmm. a chocolate rim, and a maraschino cherry. So it's like you're having a Neapolitan um, banana split in a champagne flute. Well, cheers. Cheers. Mm. That's delicious. It's really Mm. good. It's so good. I love this chocolate rim. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to be licking it the whole time. Yep. <laughs> That's really great. I, there are, there's an ounce and a half of vanilla vodka in there. Wow. You can't taste it. You can't taste it at all. No, that's it wonderful. It tastes just like a strawberry banana smoothie. Now I know what to mix my vodka with. Exactly. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so tell me what you know about Laverne Cox. Okay. So I know. Uh, Laverne Cox is a trans woman who made her, I think, screen debut in Orange is the New Black, playing a trans inmate. Um, and I know that she is just like this very big celebrity that speaks a lot on trans issues. And I don't know. That's like all I know about her is that she's on the new Orange is the New Black and she's very famous and she's very cool. Yeah, <laughs> that's like all I know about her. It is. I would say she's maybe one of the most famous or most um household name yes. transgender people. Mm-hmm. Because I would venture to guess there's a lot of people who've watched Orange Is the New Black that might not know mm. that she's transgender. I didn't when I started watching it, mm-hmm. but that again was in like 2010. I mean, I pretty quickly found out, but mm-hmm. that was like right at the like precipice of her career. Yeah. And it was cool because I feel like she was one of the first people to like portray a trans person that's actually trans you know because we had just gone through like the whole jared leto like matthew mcconnell like you know in the dallas buyers cowboy Mm -hmm. whatever that what does that movie called dallas Dallas buyers Buyers club Club, not cowboy club um yeah and i mean that's true of a lot of in the 90s and early 2000s was like the end of the point when we were saying like we want real representation in real roles um and i heard a little bit of pushback on that specifically around Hamilton when it's mm-hmm. like, well, if we want w- real representation, yeah. then why do we have black people playing these white people? But it's like in that specific musical, we wanted real musical representation, mm-hmm. which takes a different type of talent and people have been trained differently throughout their lives. So yeah. more about the music, not about the look. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Laverne was born um, on May 29th, 1972 in Mobile, Alabama. Alabama. (laughs) But there's a couple things I have to say about that. First, Laverne um, is not one to be dead named. Mm -hmm. Uh, Her name assigned at birth, I didn't see it in any articles and refused to search for it. Yeah, I was like, it's if it's necessary. if it's not something that she readily is talking about, then that's not something I need to talk about. Mm-hmm. And then second, something she does openly talk about is until 2019, she lied about her age. So up until 2019, everything said that she was born in 1984. So she would be two years older than me at this point, 38. She started dating somebody um in her 20s and she was like 27 and they were 22 and they called her old and it just really stuck with her so she kept lying about her age and she actually went on the ellen degeneres show and said i'm i'm done lying about my age i was actually born in 1972 which means laverne cox is 50 years (laughs) old this year 
What? She is 50. Can you believe that? No, I cannot. She looks amazing. I know. What? She's in her 50. I thought you were going to say like, you know, two to three years. Oh my gosh. Yeah. But you'll find a lot of older videos, YouTube videos or something that'll be like, amazing. She's only 30 and she's done so much. They aren't wrong. Like yeah. the old sources aren't the wrong. Old, yeah. Um, she, but she came out and said, you know, everybody has something that they're in their head about and they're ashamed about. And that was mine. Mm-hmm. And like, once you just say it, you realize it's not that big of a deal. So mm-hmm. thank you, Laverne, for that encouragement to just like get over that one little thing about yourself that you hate. Yeah. Okay. So she is born. She has a twin brother. They're raised. Mm. Yeah. Get ready. You're going to find out some fun things. (laughs) Okay. So um, they were raised by a single mother, Gloria, in Mm -hmm. Alabama in the 70s. So it's not like it's the most accepting place for a black family with a single mother. Mm -hmm. And she worked as a school teacher. Laverne was assigned male at birth, but there was no come to Jesus moment. She always saw herself as a female. Mm -hmm. There was not like... Uh, oh my gosh, this is happening to me. Mm-hmm. It's I, I am a female. Mm-hmm. She really didn't see a distinction between genders when she was young at all and says that she begged her mother to go to dance classes when she was young. And her mother finally gave in by third grade, but only to tap in jazz because ballet was, quote, too gay. Oh. Um, she was taunted and teased mercilessly and knowing that she was born in 1972 I mean she was Gen X and yeah Gen X threw the F-bomb around they teased any boy that acted remotely not like hyper masculine right hyper masculine so like um being assigned male and acting not masculine was something that was like a big struggle for her Mm -hmm. Although she was majorly bullied, there was a side to her that just loved learning, so she held her love for the arts all through her education. When Laverne was 11 years old, she realized that she had feelings for her male classmates and was so confused and upset and ashamed, um, so she attempted to take her own life. Oh my gosh, so young. Yeah. Of LGBTQ youth, Uh, 50% have thought about taking their own life in the last year and 19% have attempted it, which is twice the rate of the average U.S. teen. So LGBTQ youth and specifically trans youth are Mm -hmm. at a very high suicide rate. And that's something that we need to address more readily. Yeah. She graduated from Alabama School of Fine Arts in Birmingham, Alabama, which I'm assuming is is a magnet school. So when she went to high school, she specifically went to a magnet school for art where she studied creative writing before she finally switched to dance, Mm. which is what she wanted to do. Then um, when she went to Indiana University in Bloomington for two years before transferring to Marymount Manhattan College in New York City, where she switched from classical ballet. So in college, she had been studying classical ballet. And there are videos of her dancing that is like, I'm sure it's incredible. Amazing. But she switched to acting. Her twin brother was also going to the same school and studying art there. And this in New York City is where she met her first trans people. So for the first time in her life, she was surrounded by people like her. 
Not only that, she started working in very famous drag queen clubs in New York City. And um, Laverne Cox is not a drag queen. Mm -hmm. She works in drag clubs. Mm -hmm. That's a separate thing. But she totally supports her drag sisters and is there for them constantly. Early in her career, she bounced a lot around a lot. She was on an episode of Law & Order SVU. Um, she did the reality TV show, I Want to Work for Diddy, because in the first <laughs> I season... I can't believe that was a TV show. Katie? I, we should do a whole mid-season roundtable oh, on yeah. crazy reality shows that Yo. existed that everybody forgets. So she was in the first season because she said, like, if I go... And I'm on this show and I prove to be this amazing female worker. And then people find out I'm trans and the biggest like rock star, you know, rap, right. pop rock star in the country, like wants me to work for him. Mm -hmm. That's a huge step forward. Yes. So she's always thinking like that for trans people. I love that. And she even, even says like, I can't separate myself from trans rights. That's the reality I live in. That's my reality. Yeah. End of discussion. Mm -hmm. So... After that, uh, VH1 approaches her with an idea for a show called Transform Me, um, where she became the first African-American transgender person to produce and star on television. What? Yeah. I didn't. I've never even heard of this show. I know. I hadn't either. And I was watching like opening credits for it and stuff. And it's literally following people going through transitions on VH1. Wow. Amazing. That's, that is amazing. Because it also like... You know, I have a relative that is a nurse and like I got really upset one time because, you know, she was like, I just don't think that like it's OK for people to just one day be like, I want to like chop my balls off and then just being able to do that. And like, it's like you're a nurse. You should know that it is so much more complicated. And that's not that. what happens. They don't even let you. If you no. come in on the first day, they're like, whoa, you have to have like two different psychiatrists like. A, like be like yes this person is approved for this surgery like right. it is so it's such an intense process that people don't appreciate it and mm -hmm. like i think that the per perception right now is that people do it on a whim right <laughs> it's like no, no. Like, <laughs> and also there's a lot of trans people who choose to not have yeah. surgery mm -hmm. and they are equally trans right like, yeah it's nothing it doesn't take away from their identity whatsoever right it's not like because <laughs> it's major surgery yeah it's it really is really intense so both of these shows, I Want to Work for Diddy and Transform Me, both were nominated for GLAAD Awards. So she's already kind of like in the scene. People know who she is. But then she's relatively unknown and she lands a role on the very famous series Orange is the New Black. Now, I want to set the scene for this. This is not necessarily the beginning of Netflix. It's not like when they were putting flyers at Blockbusters to have DVDs <laughs> mailed to your house. But the only Netflix original series before this was House of Cards. Mm -hmm. So this is the second I can't. Netflix original series. And House of Cards was blowing people's minds. Yeah. So everybody wants to watch orange is the new black and yeah. it is so good it oh, is equally so good. good um and it has a cast of like almost entirely women yeah which is also amazing and like predominantly like women of color too yeah, like obviously really like, famous women yeah. as well like you know like the two like 
leads are still two white women, right. but like it was such a diverse cast. And like, I always appreciate it. Like they're showering in the prison in the show. So you're yeah. seeing also like such a diverse amount of body types, yes. which I really appreciated. Like that show, I remember it coming out and we were still living at the St. Paul apartment, right? which was Zach and I's like dingy yo downtown apartment with cockroaches and like cockroach city i was just being like oh my god this show is mind-blowing yeah it was so good i was so it came out in 2010 ish i think um it was shortly after caroline was born so Mm -hmm. i was on maternity leave and i had like a lot of time to watch tv because she would just cry and i would just hold her but yeah i just remember me and producer watching it and being like mind blown at how great it was and the acting just amazing so good because Netflix knew if we don't knock it out of the park with our first couple of original series, we can't continue doing this. So I truly believe they pumped the brakes on some stuff that was normal mm-hmm. to hit some things that were like really niche yeah, to make it really awesome. Mm-hmm. Okay. So in the show, Laverne has the role of Sophia, who is an imprisoned trans woman who fights for appropriate hormone treatments in prison and has a highly strained relationship with her son who doesn't want to accept her as trans, but a really loving relationship with her wife who does want to accept her as trans. And the show receives rave reviews, as we just said, for its diverse characters, its edgy plot lines, and its honest depiction of sexuality and gender expression because you go and the two leads the two white women we have one that is very comfortable being a lesbian you know and Mm -hmm. the main character who is married is struggling with this identity she had in the past well engaged engaged okay she's engaged (laughs) she's struggling with it i mean it's a really honest show in terms of sexuality yes it is and also just like just like the how people can be fluid too. Cause yes. like, I also think there's this perception of like, well, you're either gay or you're not yeah. like make a choice. And, and it's, it's like, like things can change and like, just let people be in their scenarios, you know, like, and it's like, okay, if you're bi and you decide to marry a man, that means you're straight. And it's like, no, no that's not what it means. No. Like, so it's a very interesting thing. Mm-hmm. So what is really special is that Sophia is written as a multi-dimensional character. Mm -hmm. So the audience starts to empathize with Sophia. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, they realize they're empathizing with a real, actual trans person. And this changed so many people's hearts right in their living room, realizing that they had been judging something they do not understand. Now, I don't know if you're going to get into this, but I have a question. Because obviously... A big part of the show was kind of flashing back to how some of the women got into prison. Yes. So was she, in her flashbacks, like, she's presenting male. Mm-hmm. And did she, like, talk about how it was, like, yes. doing that? Her twin brother played the part. No! Oh, yes! Isn't that amazing? <gasps> That's so nice of him. Her twin brother came no. on to play the role in all the flashbacks so that she didn't, didn't have, to, like, have to do that again. Oh, my God. Doesn't that break your heart to pieces? I love that. Yeah. 
Oh, that's so nice. I mean, like they grew up together. He saw what his sister went through. She ended up at college with him. He's also studying art, a different kind of art, but art. God, what a good brother. <laughs> I know. I'm like, oh, you it's know, amazing. Because I always wondered that, too. And then yeah. I'm reading this and I was like, oh, because my. I had the feeling when I was first watching the show, like, and I was like, my God, like, was it painful for her to, like, have to do that? And the fact that her brother stepped up for her, which is so mm-hmm. sweet. And, like, I didn't mention this in my story, but. It's also interesting, like the brother theme, because my brother in our high school production played Bert the Chimney Sweep. Yeah, I almost said it. (laughs) I'm just, there's a lot of brother love. And like, I was also like working on my like best person speech for my brother this week for the wedding. And I bought my brides, not bridesmaids, sorry. Groomsman dress. Groomsman dress. (laughs) And like, you know, so I've been feeling a lot of like, Philadelphia style brother yeah. brotherly love this week. So well, that's listen. so what a great show of love. I know. My God. To to do that for your sister, <sighs> knowing that like it's not because people assume that Laverne did that role. He's never gonna get famous from no. that tidbit of the show. But he's like, listen, I am this woman's twin brother, and I can do this. Like I can do this for her. <sighs> So cool. what a gem. I know. What a gem. I know. <laughs> okay. So when she began her work on Orange is the New Black, she was a struggling up and coming actor. Um, she is still at this point in the show working as a drag queen in the Lower East Side. She worked as a drag queen until 2013 <gasps> like you could go to new york and just see her on stage that's crazy i know <laughs> i wish i was there um but orange is the new black really changed her life and it gave her fame mm-hmm. but fame to her meant a platform to yeah. speak for the rights of trans people in 2014 um her and another transgender actor did an interview with katie couric and katie couric asked the one other transgender actor um about their surgeries and like the the person went on and on and on about their genital reconstruction this that and the other and when katie turned a similar question on laverne she said she didn't really feel the need to talk about that because she thinks that objectifies trans people Mm. and their lived experience Mm -hmm. she says i'd rather talk about how we are targets of violence or how we're discriminated against or disproportionately treated differently from the rest of society or the fact that our unemployment rates are astronomical. If we keep focusing on transition, we don't get to those things. Yeah. And that was like a breakout interview Mm -hmm. and people did get like really kind of pissy at Katie Couric, but I want to ask for grace for her because she was doing her job Mm -hmm. and the, other trans person that she asked was very very comfortable and it is one of the things that people are trying to get comfortable with mm-hmm. but um Laverne did it in such a great way she wasn't mean to Katie Couric she didn't yell at her she just no. redirected the conversation to something that was more important well and it's again because it seems like she thinks of everything as a like a lot of things as a platform so like She's like, okay, well, like, the question was already answered as it was. Mm -hmm. So how can we answer the question in a new way that brings about more topics that maybe I'm not going to get asked about? Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, 
she's not just thinking about like what's happening now. Mm-hmm. She's thinking about the conversations that people should be having. Well, and I think that, and this is definitely an over, like, um, I'm over stereotyping, mm-hmm. but a lot of trans people, uh, get kicked out of their families, mm-hmm. have to live on the street. Mm-hmm. Um, Laverne had the chance to go to university to like really study. Yeah. And, uh, she's using the knowledge to really fight back. Yeah. Um, and it's not that, you know, trans people that didn't go to university don't do this. Cause we've covered a lot of them mm-hmm. that speak out for their rights and don't have a similar education. But Laverne is using what she has. And she's like, I'm going to come in with all my guns blazing. And yeah. this is what I have. Mm-hmm. Um, so just in terms of trans people, these are some of the things that they really struggle with. Uh, loss of jobs due to bias. They get evicted from their homes when landlords find out. They get bullied or harassed in their educational environments. Even teachers will bully and treat them differently. I know at school, like behind the scenes, specifically in middle and high school, when people are discovering mm-hmm. themselves and they want to change their pronouns, um, a lot of teachers will be like, him, her, I don't know, like behind the scenes. And they'll be like, Ashley, oh, I mean, Edward. And it's like, do you have to roll your eyes about it? Like if you yeah. make a mistake, just like change it gracefully and like move on. Yeah. I mean, I worked with a lot of people all over the spectrum in my time, especially in restaurants. And, you know, there was a time, I just remember this very specific day where like the, per, my coworker, um, had changed their pronouns and like gotten a new name. And like, I, you know, was like at the register, it's like a busy Saturday brunch. And I was like, Oh great. Like she'll treat you right at the cash register. And I was like, you know, yeah. and I like, I looked at Blake and I was like, I'm like, and like, we, we were so busy, like we couldn't mention it. And then afterwards I was like, Blake, I'm so sorry. I was like, I, that I didn't. And, and he was like, it's okay. He was like, you do it all the rest of the time. <laughs> yeah. like, it's okay to slip up, but it, like, it's nice that, you know, I know that you didn't mean it, you mm-hmm. know, and like that you do put an effort and try and like not that it was hard you know because it's not really that hard but like here's like I've never felt like uncomfortable with like you know right you which is nice because like and I really it was just like a slip of the tongue you know and and I mean it happens and it's something that like you have to acknowledge like if you've known somebody before and after their transition Mm -hmm. that it is a transition in everybody's brain but I've known people who have worked as an engineer and then decided to become uh you know whatever else they could become Mm -hmm. Uh, what what are other jobs (laughs) (laughs) Uh, a waiter, a server, anything like you eventually are like, Oh, this person used to be an engineer, but now they're a blah, blah, blah. And you just stop saying they used to be at some point. Mm -hmm. You just say who they are. So I don't know. It's, it's something that definitely needs to change. Um, okay. That's teachers. They also deal with physical assault and sexual assault due to bias, homelessness, a lot. Um, the loss of relationships with their partner, their children, their, um, nuclear family, they get denied medical services based on bias and they don't get the same health insurance as everybody else. And their incarceration rate, uh, is super high, which, I mean, we could talk about that for African-American people in general, 
they're 13 percent of the u.s population and like 80 percent of the people in jail i don't know what the jail percentage is but they're absolutely 13 percent of the population and that is not equivalent to the number of people in jail so trans people have a very similar it's a small percent of the population and a lot of people are incarcerated um so again this same year as this interview Laverne ends up on the cover of Time magazine and was interviewed for an article called The Transgender Tipping Point, making her the first transgender person on the cover of Time. And Obama even mentioned it in a speech at the White House. He said, we've had a lot of changes this year. Ten more states have same-sex marriage on the books, and Laverne Cox was on the cover of Time. That is a timestamp. Wow. Laverne Cox is on the cover of Time magazine before the same-sex marriage mm-hmm. was approved by the Supreme Court. Yeah. That is bananas. Both it, of my children were born before same-sex marriage was legal in this country. And they're but they're at that weird spot too where like they can't imagine that it wasn't oh, yeah. legal, you know, which is so interesting. Like we talked about that in a patron, yeah. you know, where it's like it's so great that they can't imagine a world where that's <laughs> it's like i couldn't when i was a kid imagine a world where you couldn't have an interracial marriage right like it's yeah. a very similar thing mm-hmm. so on the cover she's in this hot like a business style navy blue dress her legs are like she's standing up her legs are crossed she's kind of like walking forwards and she just she just looks like a boss <laughs> she also that year became the first uh, trans person nominated for a primetime Emmy for her role on Orange is the New Black. She's also been on the Mindy Project. She did the reboot of the Rocky Horror Picture Show. <laughs> Let's do the time warp again. <laughs> mm-hmm. She works as a transgender advocate hosting her own column in the Huffington Post where she pens essays about gender uh, expression and oppression from the outside. She is the executive producer behind the documentary T, which follows the lives of transgender youth and also made a show called Free CC, which tells the plight of an imprisoned trans woman. She won another Emmy for this show, the documentary T, making her the first transgender woman to have an Emmy as producer. Oh, amazing. Her list of firsts are so long. Then South Africa had her on the cover of their Cosmo and um, her work has just been unprecedented in the lives of transgender people. She joined a campaign against um, this Phoenix, Arizona law, which allowed police to arrest anybody suspected of manifesting prostitution. So she pretty much like goes to Arizona and is like, you are making excuses to arrest trans women of color. Like you can't, that's what okay so when we talk about uh systemic racism Mm -hmm. that's what we're talking about laws that don't say black but mean black it's like when you're like i don't know i don't want to move there it's kind of an urban neighborhood (laughs) urban neighborhood means there's black people that live there you asshole (laughs) like that that's the uh ronald reagan was the king of never saying the word black but Mm -hmm. meaning always meaning always meaning he was so good at it he was so good at it. Well, that's like the thing. But like, I have to hate like, him about it. Oh, like, you're so brave. I could never live in the city. It's like, it's not brave. It's just a word. 
I literally live in the neighborhood I grew up in. It's not brave. Excuse me, can I have a purple heart? (laughs) (laughs) It's just. Katie was injured in the line of duty. (laughs) She needs a purple heart. Absurd. So brave. I'm so. I am very brave. Katie, you're so brave. (laughs) Um, The. Sylvia Rivera Law Project also released a video um, having Laverne Cox read a letter for an imprisoned trans woman addressing the issues that she was facing in prison. Now, Laverne later found out that this woman was in prison for, like, murder and rape or whatever, and she was like, I would not have read that letter if I knew (laughs) that. Um, Which I agree with that sentiment. Like, she should have known ahead to be like, yes, this person deserves to be in prison someone <laughs> like but also like prisoners deserve health care like yes I, so i i am full on for her reading this letter to be like this trans woman is not getting the medicine she needs in jail we're fucking democracy like right. why don't our prisoners have rights that's absurd because if that prisoner's not getting their hormone treatments than the other prisoner like are they getting their diabetes medicine like what's going on like yeah. are we making sure that like everybody is taking care of like is everyone okay <laughs> despite their fucking crimes yeah you know like so like i feel bad because she felt the need to apologize which i understand like you get mm. called out on social media and like you're like oh you know i probably would but she wasn't blah, blah, saying blah, blah, that this person blah. shouldn't be in prison yeah she just she said they, saying they should be treated well in prison like they should they're be in prison like a decent human being let them be in prison and also get medicine like right. a, a dentist should show up now and again right <laughs> like i also kind of like like the story because it's also like yeah like not all like trans people are angels like it's just like the whole thing would be like women can't be criminals it's a like pedestal. anybody can be a criminal like you know and it's like just because they're trans doesn't mean they're a criminal but also like people run the gamut it's right. like nobody the pedestal can be you put, put me on yes is, is a cage yes exactly <laughs> it's like upsetting that's an interesting story. I know. It's, it's why got a I lot of levels to it. It is. And I just wanted to include it. It was something I like thought about. Like, ah, I don't necessarily need to bring it up. But I think it's pertinent to the story mm-hmm. of like we're trying to balance where trans people fit in society. And it's not that trans people right. didn't always exist. Trans people always existed. Mm-hmm. We're just now giving them the space to exist. Right. And are working on where that is. And that's yeah. on us, not on them. Right. And that specific issue is just more of an issue. Like, and that's bringing broader issues of like prisoners rights. Right. You know, it's like, again, like if we're not treating this person, who else aren't we treating in this system that we don't know about, that we don't know about because, because they don't have a care. celebrity right. spokesperson. Like, it's crazy. Mm. So, more recently, Allure magazine does a yearly uh, nudes edition. They're tasteful nudes, and they approached uh, Laverne Cox, and she first turned them down. She was like, "I don't, I don't want to do that." Yeah. But then she came around and she said, "You know what? I think I will be a part of the nudes edition," and it is a just hot, hot, hot black and white picture. She's kind of like laying on a bed. Mm-hmm. You can't see anything. So it's very tasteful. Mm-hmm. You just kind of see her cleavage. And it it made her, it was, she's the first trans person to pose nude, wow. like openly in a like public magazine. Yeah. So she also obviously was part of the tribute to the Orlando nightclub shooting. 
She was in a John Legend music video. She was huh. in a Taylor Swift music video. Oh, in the John Legend music video, she's doing that thing where she's wiping her makeup off, kind of like the scene where Viola Davis was in the uh, How to Get Away with Murder, where she, like, takes mm-hmm. off her wig and, like, was, like, an Emmy award-winning, like, moment. That's yeah. kind of what she's doing. Like, I'm taking my makeup off. I'm like, in this space. She was in the uh, Taylor... Uh, Swift video. The, shake it off, right? No, you need to calm down. Uh, one. Yeah, yeah. Wait, yeah, you're right. Those are. I was Several thinking songs. shake. I was thinking calm down. Yes, but I was saying because I. <laughs> They're similar but different. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> it's exactly right. Um, and then Meghan Markle was a guest editor at British Vogue, and while she was still like a Sussex dust duchess, and um, she was on the cover of Vogue there as well. Oh Meghan Markle gosh. selected her for the cover of Vogue, um, and then she became the first transgender woman to have shout out to an old episode a wax statue in Madame Tussauds <gasps> wow. Museum. Um, so. She uses print and television and radio and the red carpet to constantly talk about human rights issues that are transgender issues. She has been noted as an LGBTQ trailblazer by her peers and then by people who aren't her peers because she is just so good at her job mm-hmm. and that's the story of laverne cox so far 50 years old 50 laverne killing it oh my gosh reminds me of that molly shannon's going i'm 50 <laughs> and a separate cheers to her brother yeah <laughs> oh my gosh so do you want to do the horoscopes yes i do okay. okay do you have yours ready i do all right what's yours so this is gonna be fabulous <laughs> So Laverne is a Gemini, and Gemini is the symbol of twins. <laughs> no. Yes. <gasps> so the story in, like, Greek mythology, it's based on a story where two mortals were granted shared godhood after death, and they're, like, the twin stars that are, like, holding hands. She is, based on her birthday and year, adaptable, versatile, and extremely independent. She's skilled and talented with work with her hands. She would hate repetitive tasks and <laughs> loves things that require independent thinking and decision-making. Wow. Laverne Cox, the Gemini. The Gemini. That's crazy. I, when I started reading and her <sighs> brother and the twins, I was like, this is bananas. That is bananas. I love I it. love that. So Neapolitan... <laughs> Uh, cocktails all the way. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Tell me about the full moon baby. Okay. So I, there, like, there's no, I didn't know what to do about her date because obviously her birthday is just the full moon. Right. She's fictional. So I picked the date that the Mary Poppins movie premiered, which was August 26th, 1964. Okay. And August 26th is like a hair away. So we're like, Almost like we're like two days away from that. Yeah. So that makes Mary Poppins a Virgo. <laughs> and when I looked up her horoscope, it says they possess a strong sense of purpose. They have a great devotion to fairness and a desire to apply <laughs> their energies for the benefit of others. They are quiet and introspective. They don't make a show of themselves <laughs> and prefer not to be put in the spotlight. Which is interesting because, again, she's a contradiction. So, like, 
she always says like, oh, like, don't make a spectacle of me, but also like, give me all the attention. Also like, look at me, look at me. me." Exactly. (laughs) She's very fun. So this one, there's like a a little bit of truth and a little bit of contradiction, which is so Mary Poppins, but also the devotion to fairness I thought was really key. That's very interesting. Yeah. Okay. okay, so let's talk about these two ladies in conversation with each other in a little segment called Just the Two of Us. Okay. Well, I just <laughs> find it so interesting that in the beginning you were talking about the inconsistencies with Mary Poppins. Mm-hmm. What is she? Is she a witch? Is she a sorceress? How old is she? We mm-hmm. don't know how old she is. Is she a thousand years old? And it's just like, that is Laverne Cox's yeah. story. Yeah. Or at least how a lot of trans people are treated. They'll say, what are you? Right. Which is such a disgusting thing to ask somebody. Please don't ever ask anybody that about race or gender. That's mm-hmm. gross. Um, but yeah, I just thought it was funny that that was one of the first things you brought up. No, absolutely. And it's also this thing of like, it's okay that some things go unanswered. Like that's mm-hmm. also kind of a theme in Mary Poppins. Like, she does Mr. Banks. She goes, I never need to explain myself. And I feel like Laverne takes the same stance. And she's like, I am who I am. I don't need to tell you my dead name. I don't need to tell you every last gritty detail of like how I came to be the person I am today. Like, I feel like both of these women, when they speak, it's necessary. But there's also like a bit of mystery that like we respect. Mm-hmm. We don't know what Mary Poppins is. And like, she's like, you know, all you need to know. And that's it. And you know what I'm saying? And that's fine. fine. And that should be fine. Like, why do we feel the need to own like celebrity, specifically celebrity stories, trans people stories? It's like, we want to know like, yeah, but like what surgeries have you had? What steps have you taken? What hormones are you on? And it's like, okay, that's my business. I'm here as I am. And like, you can either accept that I have magical powers or you cannot. Like, yeah. <laughs> and it's, it is crazy the way you're talking about owning celebrities, because when this comes out, it will be the day after princess Diana died. Mm. So princess Diana died on August 31st and this year will be the 25th anniversary. <sighs> So it, you'll probably walk through your grocery store this week and notice that there are a lot of pictures because the yeah. 25th anniversary is big. We don't own these people. No, my We God. have to stop doing that, and we're not stopping. No. But I love that Mary Poppins is vain because yes. I think Laverne Cox is vain, yes. and I don't think it's bad to be vain. No. I think that Laverne Cox addresses it so nicely of, like, if you're ashamed about one little thing about yourself, no one cares. Yeah. But you're still a fucking hottie. You can be a hottie. That's fine. And Mary Poppins is obsessed with, like, maybe she always looks at herself because she's really worried about how her hair looks. But maybe she's just like, look how fucking cute I am. I think she's like, look how fucking cute I am. She she looks in spoons. Yes. She looks in spoons. She looks in shop windows. Like, any type of mirror. Like, she... (laughs) I was watching the first like half of the movie today and like she's in the nursery and she's like, oh God, this mirror will not do. It's too small. And then she brings out like this big gilded mirror just so she can look at herself. (laughs) And I think it all goes back to like identity. Like they know who they are and they don't give a fuck if you don't understand it. Right. You know, like, and I just kind of love that. Like obviously like Laverne Cox, there's a mission in her to like, 
have people respect people like her more. Mm-hmm. But it's not like like you don't need to break down what or who I am. Like I'm wonderful. And that's like going back to the vein thing. It's like they're like, I'm wonderful. So like you can get on board or you can get off. But right. like I'm wonderful and I think that I'm wonderful, which is so rare because everybody has things that they're self-conscious about. Honestly. And I also, in this crazy story, want to liken P.L. Travers to TERFs. Yeah. P.L. Travers kept looking at the movie and being like, she's not supposed to act like that. She's not supposed to be like that. That's not how X, Y, Z. And it's like, if there are so many women who are dead set on trans Mm -hmm. women not being women Mm -hmm. and saying, you're not supposed to act like that. You can't take my space. You can't this. You can't that. You can't come to this music festival. No, (laughs) you are on the wrong side of history. Yes. That is terrible. It is just, it's going to be the same way in a hundred years, how we talk about suffragettes and how Mm -hmm. we're ashamed of them for not letting black people be involved. That's where you are right now. So in a hundred years, your grandkids are going to be ashamed of you. So get it together. Yep. Your daughter's daughters. (laughs) Daughter's daughters. not adore you. Right. (laughs) Right. Be the mom from Mary Poppins, but also just be Laverne Cox. Yes. (laughs) I also thought it was cool that their breakthrough roles were very iconic and very important because both of their breakthrough roles, like, we're doing new things, you Changed know, like, the art of television, the film, Mary Poppins, not only cemented her as a classic character, but it also changed the course of film history. Oh, like, yeah. and it changed Julie Andrews career. Like, and I'm thinking about like when Laverne Cox was in orange is the new black. Sorry. I was going to say orange is the new bad <laughs> orange is the new black. Like that was revolutionary. It changed Netflix. It changed Netflix. And again, it's like, Changing things that maybe they didn't even need, they weren't even looking at to change, you mm-hmm. know? But, like, I think it changed a lot of people's minds as well. The empathy. Yeah, there's when a I, lot of empathy. When I read the article about people having empathy for a trans person in their living room, I never thought about that. Mm-hmm. Because I, I think about representation all the time. Like, you want to see somebody like you. Mm-hmm. But you don't realize that other people need to, sim- like, empathize with somebody who's not like them. Which is incredible that yeah. she did that on her own with her acting skills and her yes. brother. Yeah, and her brother. <laughs> well, it's- and brother. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's also, it kind of makes me think of, um, you know, when Bert is having this talk with the kids in the movie. And he's like, you know, I think your dad needs your help. And they're like, like father needs our help you know like they're so shocked they're like but he's so in charge and Mm. you know and he kind of says this thing of like yeah like people can often build the cages that they're in you know and I feel like people like Mary Poppins and Laverne Cox like they exist so that people can break out of their own cages Mm. you know what I'm saying like they're not in a cage right they're ready (laughs) they're ready and but it's other people changing their mindsets based off this person that they're now coming in contact with. Like Mm. Mary Poppins opens up Mr. Banks's mind without telling him that she's opening up his mind. Oh yeah. And Laverne did the same thing to people all across America where she's like, I'm going to teach you a lesson in this film, in this show, but you're not going to really quite realize I'm teaching you a lesson. (laughs) Like she's like, you're going to empathize with me and you're going to learn something and you're going to expand your mindset. 
And you're going to somehow think that like, that's your own idea because Mm -hmm. that is actually magic. Like encouraging people to be better people without shoving it down their their throats. And I feel like, yeah, both of these women did that in this very iconic way, you know, of like, and like these characters will live on. I mean, forever. And they're so dynamically opposite, which Mm -hmm. is funny because like Mary Poppins, you can't get a grip on her because she's this, that, this, that. But then we all accept it. Mm -hmm. Laverne Cox is very direct. Mm -hmm. This is who I am. And people are like, no. Yep. Mm -mm." (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Don't get it. So I just, yeah, they're impacting society in a very interesting way. They impacted art, technology. Yeah. Like, and they're keeping the conversation where it should be. You know, when you're talking about how she redirected that that comment with Katie Couric, the question, it kind of made me think of like, you know, Mary Pommas is never, she doesn't answer questions. questions. (laughs) She doesn't explain herself. And it makes me think that they're always keeping the conversation on what's most important, you know? And I kind of love that of like, no, I know you asked that question, but like, let's redirect. Mm. Let's keep it on the people that need the attention the most, which in Mary Poppins is the bank's children. And in Laverne's story is this community of trans youth that are being ignored and the bank's children are being ignored. Yeah. People are like, I have different things on my mind. I don't really feel like paying attention. And you know, are the banks as like the darlings? Oh yeah, the, yeah, oh, absolutely. Saw, British. Yeah. That's a different conversation, home. but like, yes, yeah, there are very absolutely many parallels between same Peter thing. Pan. I mean, and- <laughs> the literal opening line of the both movies is exactly the same. It is <laughs> the narration. <laughs> Yes, it is. <laughs> okay, are you ready to toast these women? Yes, I am. Allie, who would you like to toast this evening? I just want to toast women who call their own shots. Mm-hmm. Like, I just think from the time Laverne was born, she was like, this is who I want to be. These are the dance classes I want to take. This is the school I want to go to. This is the place I want to work. Mm-hmm. This is the person I want to be. Because she wasn't playing a role. Yeah. Like, I think that's what so many people think about trans people like mm-hmm. you're playing some sort of role now that you've transitioned and that right. is not true she was calling her own shots from day one mm-hmm. that doesn't mean if it takes you later in life to figure it out that it's not true it's just for her she called her shots and yep. she knew it was she knew her path cheers. cheers i'm going to toast women who keep the magic alive while also keeping us safe there was something very resonant to me about the feeling of fun is had within boundaries because I was thinking a lot about like, you know, when we see like typical, like fun parents and then like throw caution to the wind. It's like, yeah, put the baby on the motorcycle. Who cares? It's fun. And it's like, but that's not safe. Mm-hmm. And in the end, at the end of the day, it's not fun for kids to not feel safe. And there was just something very moving to me about this this woman who could make children feel like the world was magical and that they were okay. And I wish that, you know, and I actually, I feel like that pairs really well with Laverne's story too. Cause I wish, I wish trans kids felt safe in America and ever anywhere right now, yeah. you know? So I just want to toast people who do make kids feel safe <laughs> because it's, it's a hard to do. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Right. Now, what are you enjoying in pop culture All this right. week? We've promoted this a thousand <laughs> times, but I officially 
started watching Brooklyn Nine-Nine with my kids. So good. And like, so (laughs) we're kind of in the middle of Gilmore Girls, but because that's an hour long show, Mm -hmm. some nights it's like, okay, we only have 25 minutes or whatever. So we just pop on Hulu. And I decided like when they were younger, it's not like a bad show. It's just so fast. Yes. And the inside jokes layer Mm -hmm. from day one. So like you have to be cognizant enough to understand the jokes. And I decided that they were old enough and they are openly giggling like the entire time. And I also just really love that they watch a show where there are two Hispanic women or Latino women. And there are two, like the leaders of the office are both black men and one is gay and one is very sensitive. Mm -hmm. And like, I just think it is such a good, because then also like there's, a whole bunch of cool white guys in the office and some are sensitive and some are funny and some are lazy as fuck. And it's like, everybody is diverse. It's a lot like orange is the new black, but a comedy. Mm -hmm. And you're just like, that's exactly what they need to see that. Like, this is a diverse group of people, but they also address things like captain Holt regularly is like, they didn't want me to have this job. It took me forever because I'm gay, Mm -hmm. which is, good to watch. I don't know. It's good for my family to watch. And yeah. it's f- so funny. Oh, I love and that touching. show. <laughs> and I love Amy. And the episode we watched last night is where Jake lied like about the date so they could stay on the stakeout I- all night. <laughs> <laughs> so cute. So they're like, wait, 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 does he like her? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. Um, it's precious. I love that show. It's such a good show. And I just like, it's good for kids. It's mm-hmm. fun. I, I don't know. If you haven't seen Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Yeah. It's so funny. So I'm also promoting a show Uh-oh. that's like kind of similar. So I can't remember if I promoted this before, but it's um the show Nora from Queens. Have I done I this before? I don't remember you saying that. No. Okay. Nora from Queens is Aquafina's like sitcom. And it's basically about her being like just a grungy, like late 20s, early 30s, like, like person living in Queens like moving in with her like dad and her grandma and she's so good in this role and it it also really encapsulates like the feeling of like when you're like wow people my age are like running companies and doing all this cool (laughs) shit and like I'm not and I don't know how to deal with that and Aquafina is so good her dad is played by B.D. Wong who played Captain Shang in Mulan. And he was also in Jurassic Park. And he is the best character in the show. Like, I love the grandma, but he is the best character in the show. He's so cute. (laughs) And I, like, he's just very sweet. And he's, like, his wife has passed away, so he's, like, trying to get back on the dating scene. And, like, so as much as the show follows Nora, it also follows, like, all of these other characters who are dealing with, like, their own shit. I love it. And it kind of reminds you that, like, oh, my God, like, no matter what era, like, no matter what age you're in, you have shit that you're dealing with. And there's a whole episode where they, like, do a whole backstory on the grandma where it's, like, set up like a like a Korean drama <laughs> where like, she's like back in China and it's like how she like met her husband and like, you know, and it's so funny. So Northern Queens, it's hysterical. It's so good. And everyone in it is perfect. Ugh, I love it. I've been, does sound I've great. just been loving it. I love a multi-generational sitcom. Yeah. It's yeah. so good. So 
yeah that's it so you can find us everywhere we love you we like you mm-hmm. we prefer you on patreon so you could listen <laughs> to the shenanigans that we talk about because we're about to talk about um the best uh wedding guest outfits because we're Woo! about to go to a wedding so we have a lot to talk about we're yes. about to go to an important wedding yes. um so that's a whole thing um and I just, it's fun there, but it's mm-hmm. also fun on all of our social medias. And if you just want to send us a line, sometimes, like, we both do work full-time jobs. Mm-hmm. So sometimes we might not message you back for a day or two, and it might just be a couple heart emojis. But I promise you, it makes oh, our day. It's the best. We, like, it is life-changing to realize that people all over the world listen to this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and listen to us make mistakes and like be dumb and, and, and get still drunk love us anyway. And yeah, it's mostly, wonderful. Mostly. Um, so thank you and come back next week where we have more horoscopes for you. Yes, it'll be fun. And we want you also to never forget that well behaved women would never consider wearing more than one ring per hand. No. And they really make a streak. Goodbye. Goodbye. Listening to her story on the rocks. We are independently produced by 1986 Entertainment and proudly recorded in Baltimore, Maryland. If there's a woman in history you would like us to cover, you can email us at herstoryontherocks at gmail.com. You can also message us on Twitter or Instagram. We post all of our cocktail recipes on Tuesdays so that you can go get all the supplies you need and drink along with us. See you next week. Bye.